Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio. It's been a busy week. It's going to be a, a busier week as we get through this week. But I've got a special guest here with us today coming to us all the way from New York. Not that far, but far enough. Uh, the co-founder of Viva Mental Health and Wellness, Rachel Gerstein. Rachel, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, as we were talking before we hit record, you know, what we're going to talk about today about all the great things you and your partner Jarrell are doing in your space. Um, I'm excited to have on. I don't I got to we've done this podcast for over 4 years and I don't think we've ever had someone in your profession on the podcast, but it's something that we've talked a lot about and something that we deal with and clearly where the world is today, uh, mental health and wellness is such a big topic. So I'm excited to have you on. Full disclosure, uh, Maria Vargas, who helps us out on our marketing, connected the dots. Um, I love how the world, I mean, it's, it's wild how you meet people. Also from doing some research, you're a four-time marathon finisher, which is awesome uh, because we do a lot with running. So there's some, uh, I'm sure maybe we'll get into some running stuff at some point, but uh, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. So our first segment is always the guest opportunity to kind of share their background, what brings them here today to the podcast and also to our video for our people watching this on YouTube. And with that, I always kind of tell our guests, Rachel, you can go as far back as you want, or you can stay as high level as you want as well. I will be taking notes, as I mentioned before we hit record. And with that, the microphone's yours, Rachel. Oh, wow. Okay. So we have a few hours for my life story, right? No, I'm just, <laughs> I would never subject anyone to that. Um, the short version that people might be interested in is uh, my name is Rachel. I am a licensed therapist and co-founder of Viva, as um, Nina mentioned. So we are, we'll talk a little bit about Viva first. We are a mental health and wellness practice that is focused on doing therapy better. We are passionate about making therapy holistic, inclusive, accessible, and individualized, which unfortunately is not the norm, but we're trying to make it the norm. We started off in New York City and we are expanding. We now have locations in Philadelphia for in-person in the state of Pennsylvania remotely and San Diego for in-person and California generally for virtual therapy also. And we're really excited. We think it's the best way to do therapy and healthcare in general. And Joel and I feel really passionately about it. So we hope we can continue to grow and also spread it, that message and that way of working with people to the whole world. Um, we also have free resources on our website and blog and podcasts and ways for people to connect with us, even if we're not where you are located yet. Um, for me, in addition to work, I do have some free time. I am a runner, a marathoner. Specifically, I got a shout out that I'm a four-time New York City marathon finisher. I can't imagine doing another marathon. Um, New York City marathon is just the best day ever. But Thank you for that commercial. You just you just sold it. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I have to throw that out there because people are always like, well, which marathons have you done? I'm like, only one yeah. and only ever one, probably, most likely. Um, but all kinds of other distances, I'm actually going to be running my 175th race in a couple weeks, which is like crazy and mind-blowing. Um, especially, I say that especially because I manage a chronic illness. I'm not someone who's quote-unquote supposed to be a runner as per doctors or just, you know, stigmas and stereotypes. Um, 
other than that, I have, if I'm not running or working, I was going to say in the remaining couple hours, minutes of the day, um, I'm probably eating or cheering on my sports teams or hanging out with my dog. And that's about it. I love it. I love it. So I, I, I got some questions here right off the gate. Um, so you went to Arizona state. Yes. Love Arizona state. Almost went there for my, uh, post-grad but then decided not to do that. So I, I looked into that school. It's a great school. I always say great place whenever people ask, because I spent an extended part, like uh, I was originally from Westchester, slightly upstate of the city, moved and grew up in Arizona. And I always say when people ask, like great place to visit, don't live there. Sorry to anyone listening from Arizona. You can come at me later, but that's my take. <laughs> it's a little it's a little hot. We had I had someone on the on a call yesterday from Phoenix and it was like 115, I think, and it's June 15th. No, I'm mad when it's 80, so yeah. it's not the place for me. But then you attended Columbia University and earned two master's degrees um, in psychological counseling, an EDM and an MA. Yes. That was a impressive. fun program. <laughs> so my first question then is, why mental health? Like, what got you into this field? I've always been interested. Um, I remember taking a psychology class in high school and just loving it. And I was not someone who was super into school at the time. Like I did well, um, you know, finished, graduated, finished work, got into college, obviously, but it wasn't anything I was like really excited about except for that class. And I remember it really standing out because the teacher was like not a nice person. Um, I actually don't remember the context, but he once called me a train wreck which the context is probably important there, but that the part, the name calling is what really stood out. But I still, despite that rude behavior, really enjoyed the class. And so when I went to enroll at ASU, I was like my major psychology and that was it. Um, that never really deviated. That being said, I really went back and forth on what I was gonna do with that. I spent several years uh, in a supervisory managerial role in social services. I ran a men's mental health shelter for a while, and that was very different pre-Viva. And so now I feel like this is just like the best fit, um, considering like my life experience and how I feel about the healthcare field in general. Um, and we started Viva over four years ago now, and it's just crazy that it's both been that long and not that long at all, because it feels like this is what we've always done. So let's talk a little bit about Viva. Like, where did that inspiration come from? Was it, you know, how did you and Jarrell meet? Maybe we could start there. And then like, how did this all kind of come together? And as you said, like, you look back, it's four years. It's like, wow, it was like almost yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jarrell and I met in grad school. We both went to Columbia. Um, we met in, so grad school does these experiential classes and where you're basically like in therapy. And one of them was a group counseling class and we were co-facilitators together. And as one might imagine, when people are kind of shoved together and basically pretending, but actually being in group therapy, some things got heated. And at one point I, while we were facilitating the group, I quit on him because I needed to say what I needed to say. And he somehow like still talked to me after that. It was great. Um, it was like meant to be. So we became really good friends. And one of our traditions that's gone on for wow, like over 10 years now, which makes me feel very old, is going to Yankees games when they're home on Sundays. And so baseball games can be long. So one of the many conversations we've had is, you know, this idea of like, what would you want to do if you ever won the lottery? And it was always this, like we'd have a practice that did all this differently. And here's all the ways we change how therapy is normally done. 
Um, and then fast forward to the summer of 2017, I was actually in the middle of marathon training with a good friend of mine and I wasn't happy at work, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do instead or like how to move forward. And I had talked about this idea with her and she just was like, why aren't you doing that? I was like, that's a great question. I don't know why I'm not doing that. So I sent a message to Jarrell and I was like, Jarrell, it's time. And he was like, great. And that's how we kind of got started. And then six-ish months later, we officially opened. And yeah, it's crazy that it's already been four years. That's pretty wild. Uh I love hearing stories like that because as an entre- I consider myself an entrepreneur, you know, starting Project Purple and I had another business prior to that. And it just um you know, I wrote something down here that I, I wanna mention. Like what you're doing is like selfless work. Like to so to to have this idea to start a business to help other people, it's not you're not looking people that are cut from that cloth aren't looking for awards. You're not looking for probably a big paycheck, but it's to help other people. And I put, I wrote down here, selfless work. So to, to have that, first of all, thank you for, for being that type of person. But hindsight's always twenty twenty. If you look back, do you think that's always kind of been like, did you volunteer when you were in college and when you were in high school and grammar school, were your parents, you know, in that type of field where they were, um, you know, counselors or, um, you know, helping other people involved in philanthropy? Yeah, I think that's probably something that's always been instilled in me. Um, my mom worked in healthcare before she retired. And so that's part of why, in addition to my own personal experience with chronic illness, that the healthcare field really became on my radar and how it was broken and how I wanted to fix it. And, you know, in addition to that, I think I've always been someone who just really connects with people and wants to make their lives better. Um, All throughout high school and even part of college, I was a martial arts instructor at the school that I trained in. I taught little kids all the way to, you know, the oldest adults and just being able to make someone's day better, even in that capacity, which is, you know, obviously less intense than therapy or healthcare was just, it made me so happy. Um, So this idea of like being in any career that isn't centered on making people's lives better just felt wrong. Um, And, you know, and I think even when we started Viva, both Jarrell and I came from social services, like a big nonprofit in the city. And we also just didn't like the worst workplace dynamic. So we tried to make sure that Viva changes that, right? For the people that are on our team, like we want to create the type of environment we wish we started in, um, which is very collaborative. You know, obviously there's a hierarchy supervisor, you know, team member, but we want people to like coming to work. Um, we don't want to stiff them in terms of pay and compensation, which sadly happens a lot with businesses. Um, and so, yeah, I think just always this idea of like, making the world a better place, even if it's just like your corner of the world. That's so powerful though. That last statement though, like, and I guess I'll try to paraphrase here and jump in if I'm incorrect in saying this, like, and to me, I hear like, you do you, you worry about you doing all the right things and then the rest follows, right? Like it almost so like it's such a powerful statement if we all if everyone kind of took that mindset right um and we all worked on ourselves and our immediate other people whether you're a business owner a manager 
spouse, father, mother. And, and we just took that mindset of that, of like being the best that we can and supporting those people around us. I think the world would be a lot better place for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things that we make sure that we do is keep our fees as accessible as possible. You know, I could go on for hours about how we need a better system that makes it accessible for everyone, but we're going to do our part. And in full honesty, you know, we are in the middle of New York City. Our practices are built in cities. Like we could be charging a lot more, but I just get very upset when I hear all providers, you know, saying healthcare, especially mental health care is not accessible. We should, we should do something about that. But then are charging like exorbitant rates mm-hmm. just because it happens to be, you know, market value for their services. And like, but you're not, you're not helping the cause. Um, and, you know, everybody has their own journey, but that's something that we felt really strongly about is we want to be able to contribute as much as possible to being the solution, so to speak. So let's talk about what you guys actually do. So I know on, on your website and doing some research, it's mental health and wellness. So my first question on that, do you feel like those go hand in hand? Like it's a symbiotic relationship. Like if you don't have mental health, like, and I guess the analogy maybe that I would use, like, okay, you have someone who's, um, you know, who's a, who's a triathlete, you know, cause triathletes are usually known as like the, the most in shape or even CrossFit. Like there's that debate between CrossFit. <laughs> You're laughing. Cause you know where I'm going. Like yeah. is the CrossFitter the, and I used to do CrossFit. So I remember, and that was after I was running marathons and I always would have these debates. They'd be like, well, CrossFitters are the fittest people in the world. And I'd be like, eh, I don't know, maybe triathletes are because, you know, they can run, swim and bike. And, you know, you can get a guy to do like, you know, a marathon and, you know, 126 miles and two miles swim. Uh, you know, in like less than like six hours, that's pretty impressive, you know, <laughs> or is it that you can, you know, uh, front squat, you know, 450 pounds and deadlift 500 and, you know, run a mile, do hundred pushups, sit-ups and, you know, all these things and, you know, under 40 minutes. But I, I get, get back to my question here, the mental wellness or mental health and wellness going hand in hand. When I think of wellness, I think of like fitness and like doing like eating right, working out, meditating, yoga, all that stuff. But if you don't have mental health, like people could be unstable, right? So the question is, do you need both in order to really like, I guess, manage anything that comes down your pike in terms of, or down your lane, whether it's a, you know, a business issue, a personal issue, you know, clearly we deal with pancreatic cancer. So someone gets a cancer diagnosis and that you're, and I don't know if anyone's ever really prepared, but at least if you have kind of that foundation set, then I think you're a little bit easier to go into that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why it ever got separated because it's all your body, right? Like, it's not like you can cut off something if you're having issues with, you know, your overall well-being or experiencing depression or anxiety, like you don't, it doesn't cut off at your neck. That's nobody's figured out a way to do that. So it's all your person and it all contributes to each other. You know, if you are, I think a good example of this is always, if you haven't gotten enough sleep, I think everybody's experienced this because, you know, let's say you were just out too late versus you didn't get enough sleep because you were up late, really upset, like arguing with a loved one or just like really processing a hard time. The next morning, those two feel different. 
And I know I can speak for personal experience where if I've been up all night, like very emotional or up late, and that's why I didn't get enough sleep, that feels so much worse than if I was just like, went to a late show. And there's a reason for that. It's all connected and you're stressing your body, even though you're like sitting on your couch and crying, like that's stressful to your person. And on the other hand, if you're managing an illness, like I don't know how that doesn't impact your mental well-being and that's of course impacts stress and sleep and your ability to focus and concentrate and be present for other people in your life. So yeah, I don't know why this ever got separated, but it's very rare that someone feels good and overall healthy when mental health is missing, regardless of how great their physical health is. Um, and I think it also influences performance in sport as well. You know, I think when you listen to different professional athletes or recreational athletes, you know, there's always some people who like really get a good rage run in, but for the most part, like when people are happy and relaxed and loose, they do better. And that's also directly related to your mental health, whether that's about, you know, a specific event or just generally speaking, it's all connected. And that's kind of where the mental health and wellness comes in is because one of our complaints with a lot of traditional therapy sessions is that it's very singularly focused. Like you came in for anxiety. So let's talk about your anxiety. Whereas we say you are a person in front of us that we work with and we support you. What do you need in this 45 minute time? Maybe you did come in with anxiety and you'd like to talk about how that's impacting you. Or maybe you want to talk about your boss or, you know, your brother or whoever else is front of mind. And even if it's not even related to therapy, I've had clients who also have run the New York City Marathon and they knew that I had done it in the past. And without my prompting, I promise, both of them, the week of their, ma- of their marathon, and it was their first for each of them, we spent the entire 45 minutes doing like a marathon prep session. And like, who, who's to say that can't be therapy, right? That's what someone needed at that time. And so it's this idea of like, it's the whole person. Like we want to work with you as a human, not your anxiety, not your depression, you as an actual person. So uh, I wrote something down and it brings me back. And then another question popped up, which I want to ask. So this is where you said in the beginning, like you guys take a very personalized approach so, and where I'll bring this in is I know in oncology over the last couple of years, there's been advancements in personalized medicine, which is basically breaking down your tumor, looking at it from a genetic perspective, and then tailoring drugs for that genetic sequence. So this is your approach at Viva then is kind of the same way in the sense that you're personalizing the therapy for the individual. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's how all healthcare should be. Obviously there's some constraints and, you know, you start with kind of a generic, like this is what the research says, but you also need to look at the person. You know, if someone comes in with like depression, for example, I don't know how you can help them without looking at all the other things that impact their life. Right. You know, you take it to a medical perspective and you say, okay, you know, this person comes in with this ailment and this is the normal course of treatment. Okay. Fine. This is what we normally start with, but like, what if it doesn't work for them for whatever reason, because of their their job, because of what's important to them, everybody comes in with different goals, right? So somebody who is managing whatever illness and their goal is just to say, like, I just want to be able to like go to work and live my life is very different than someone who's like, no, I'm a triathlete and I need to stay a triathlete. But how do you know that unless you connect with the individual person and you might end up working with somebody and giving them solutions that aren't helpful 
And then they're even more discouraged, right? It's like meditation. Everybody says meditation is like the be all and end all, which like for some people it's amazing and others it's not. But so if it's not, and they say, Hey, like, Hey, this doesn't work for me. Like, why are we still telling people to meditate? And the only reason that you, I would think would do that is if you don't actually know the person. So fascinating hear you say that because I'll give you my example. So, you know, COVID, we all experienced it, right? And so, yeah, I was I was reading a ton and everyone's like, oh, meditate, meditate. And then there was this app. I, I might get in trouble if I say this, but I don't really care. I guess they can come after me. Calm, the Calm app, right? So I downloaded the Calm app and like I did it for like three days and I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. But then I was like, I can't do this. Like it just wasn't for me. Right. But I succumbed and I'm not saying anything bad about calm. I mean, I think in certain situations, like, yeah, it allows me to get into certain spaces mentally, but to do it every day to like use that as meditation. I I, personally, for me, like, I can't like, maybe I haven't found the right time to do that. Because my mind is always like, I got a million things going on. Um, I'm the kind of guy, like I've got notebooks, paper, like I'm always writing stuff down. I go out and run. I come back. Like even this morning, I went out for my run this morning. I came back, found a piece of paper uh, on my desk at my home office and just started writing down things that I thought about on my run that I knew if I didn't write them down, I would forget them. Yes. You know, so to your point, you know, I, I, and, and this is the question. So like, how do we change this? Because I feel like, so you guys are in the process of, and you mentioned this, like breaking down the norms and the barriers, because this is the other one that I've seen. And I don't mind this. And maybe you as a marathon runner, like I love the cold plunge baths, like doing those cold plunges, because like for recovery, I think they're great. But now like I see everybody on, so like I go on social media, maybe because I looked online, like how do you buy a cold plunge? You know, one of those baths. And now it's just all the ads. But now everyone in the world is doing a cold plunge. And they're saying like, oh, it's got mental, you know, it's it's good for mental health. It's good for recovery. Like I knew it was good for recovery like 10 years ago when I started to do marathons. <laughs> so I was like, what's so new about doing a cold bath? Like, you know, and then there's this good breathing, you know, there's some programs where you can do breathing and stuff like that. So to your point, to, you know, get back to the question here is like, how do we break down these barriers? Yeah, I think it's twofold, you know, kind of generally speaking without getting into like the nitty gritty of like policy changes and like system, you know, that need to change. I think it's this idea of like one, really focusing on accurate expert driven information. You know, one of the things that often gets Cheryl and I in trouble is that like we very blatantly say like, listen, the person who is an Instagram influencer they should not be giving you mental health advice because they don't know you and they don't know about the topic at hand other than what worked for them and what worked for them might be great for them and great. I'm so happy they found something, but that doesn't mean it works for someone else. And that is, I think the important thing is that the way information is so often presented is like, there's this be all and end all thing that's going to fix all the ailments in your life. And no, like that doesn't exist. And you know, it, gets a lot of clicks and likes for people to say like, this is the thing. Meanwhile, like people come to us and we're always like, well, it depends. Like, tell me more about you. Tell me more about your situation. Like, I don't know if you tried it. Do you like it? Because if not, like you should probably give it up because there's no magic solution, but magic solutions are what drive advertising dollars and make people money. And so this is part of the problem that health and wellness has gotten so monetized where it should be about helping people, right? Not trying to 
make a ton of money. And, you know, obviously people are going to sell products that are related to health, which is great. And it might work for some people, but let's be honest about the fact that like, it might not work for you and that's okay. Versus, you know, marketing these things as like magic bullets. The other side is just this idea of inclusivity and diversity. Um, I think they go hand in hand because people kind of have this framework of that how they operate in the world is how everyone operates in the world. And that's a hundred percent not true. Um, speaking of like meditation and things that don't work, I was at a training once where they really encourage people to do like this very intense, like full body scan, right? Like you like close your eyes and you stand up and you like focus on every single part of your body. And I like immediately sat down because, you know, part of my chronic illness is chronic pain. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't do that. That's not how I get through the day. Like I need to not check in with my body to that degree because it's just overwhelming. And I got a lot of pushback for that where, and in my head, I'm kind of just like, why is this trainer giving me a hard time? If I'm saying this doesn't work for me, like let this go. And there's so many areas in the world that this happens in, right? Where we just assume that someone else's experience is ours. Whereas if you go into the world thinking, I don't know what your experience is. Let me ask or let me get all these voices in a room from different life experiences, from different walks of life to contribute to, you know, policy, to event planning, to marketing, to whatever. Like then you get a better idea of how you can represent and actually make other people feel included and like they matter in the healthcare space and therefore they're more likely to seek services. They're more likely to feel like they can get help versus like, oh no, this isn't for me. And there must be something wrong with me versus like, no, it's just your, how you have a different experience and that's okay. So powerful. I, I mean, I, I'm writing a, a ton of things here that pop up. As I said before, like this is like going on a run and, and like ha- listening to a podcast i.e. We're, we're, video, we're, we're videoing and we're recording this. So hopefully people do, maybe people are going to be running and they listen to this and then they go back to their home and their office and they write things down. You just said something that I caught and I, and I want to, and I'm not, again, going to put words in your mouth, but try to phrase this correctly. Do you think then, and I'm just going to generalize here, and I know that could get us in trouble here because we we talked about things being personalized, but bigger picture, maybe for the majority. I talk a lot about mind shift. So do you think there's like a a mind shift change that we have to create because we have all these influences on this side of social media, marketing, and yes, mental health and wellness has become a trillion dollar space, right? Like consumers, there's, there's the need from the consumers and companies, you know, are very intelligent on making money and pushing products. And to your point, Rachel, it may work for one person, but that doesn't mean that it works for you. So you said kind of having that, you said the, the phrase like, is that going to work for me? I think along those lines versus buying into, Hey, wow, that looks really cool. That guy had, or that woman or that guy had good experience with that cold plunge or that meditation, I should try it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm very big on having a team and obviously this is not accessible to everyone, unfortunately, but as much as you can, like have a team of people who know you 
about the things that are important to you. And that's who you go to, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, my doctor is like the expert on all things and no one else's opinion matters. But I know something that's really helped me in my own running is that I hired a coach that I love and think she's just amazing. And rather than follow all these accounts on Instagram that are, you know, pushing all of these things and telling me 8 million products I have to buy and all these things I have to do. I listen to her because <laughs> she knows me. She's an expert in the field. And if I see something, I can go to her and say like, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? And obviously if she gives me an answer, I don't like, I can, you know, make my own decision, but it's something where you're getting that advice from someone who knows you. Um, and I say the same thing with therapy, right? People come and they say like, oh, I'm thinking of trying this. And I'm like, okay, like, why do you want to try it? Like, what do you think is going to be the benefit? And I'm happy to provide expert opinion, but it's really about helping people make the best decision for them rather than being like, this is the best decision for you. It's like, I don't know what the best decision for you is. Like, how does anyone know? You know. And so, yeah, like really empowering people to say anything critically about like what actually works for me, what is sustainable, what feels worth it. And then go from there versus being told, no, this is it. And then making people feel like a failure if actually it's not it because nothing works for everyone. So on that note, and this is where, and I think you're spot on. Um, I always said you need a good dry cleaner, good tailor, which you can get a dry cleaner, good barber or someone to do your hair and a good <laughs> therapist. Yeah. Um, I truly, and I, I've done therapy throughout my years for, for various challenges. And I've always found kind of a struggle to find really good therapy, someone you can open up to, whether it's personal, professional, well, life coach, all that kind of stuff. But it's really, really a challenge sometimes. But do you think on that kind of direction here, as I ask this question, there's a big stigma in people coming to someone like yourself asking for that it's like asking for acceptance to ask the question like what's wrong or how how do i and maybe that's that that i shouldn't say what's wrong because that's kind of a negative connotation but how do i better myself maybe is the better terminology yeah absolutely because there is still a stigma around therapy and mental health care you know therapy isn't the thing you do when your life is falling apart and you can't function just like I hope most people are not going to seek any type of medical care when they're like passed on the ground. And that's the first time they've ever gotten a physical yeah. or had blood work done. Mental health is the same way, you know, that we really preach that as well. Like without getting too much into like horror stories of what current clients have told us about past therapists, we don't tell you, you have to come every week for X amount of weeks and then you have to leave, you know, or whatever schedule or like rigid treatment plan we're here to support you. And if that means you want to check in once a month, every other week, once a week, we have clients who have gotten assistance with like one particular area in life and then take a break and maybe come back or not. And we've had clients we've seen for years because they just want that, you know, ongoing support. It's helpful. Being a human is hard. And so, yeah, I think the fact that we don't talk about therapy in that context, and there's a lot of other voices that are shouting like, oh, therapy's for when something's wrong or like, oh, you're a therapy. And all of these other voices pushing like, oh, you don't need therapy, you know, like running is your therapy. And it's like running is very therapeutic and a great tool, but it's not therapy. And so all of that language really is just such a barrier to people actually saying like, no, it's okay to get support 
in being a person. Like nothing has to be tragically wrong. And obviously then if there is something tragically wrong, you already have that support system in place. And yeah, it's just, that's something that we try to fight against all the time of like, it should just be like going to the dentist or the gym. Like it's just a thing you do to make yourself a better person for the people around you. There's that meme that goes around. That's like, I'm in therapy to deal with all the people in my life that won't go to therapy. Like it does help. It's hard to interact with other people. It's hard to be in marriages and family relationships and friendships with coworkers. Like why, why did we ever think we could do that alone and it should never be looked at as bad to get support in living life because life is hard. It's so powerful. Uh, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And, and like I said, I use that analogy of, you know, having those, those people in your life. I, I guess then the question is in your, in your own personal experience, the time you do, and maybe the, this is a loaded question. Why is there such a stigma? Do you, and, I, and I guess that, and this is going to bring this up. Like, do you think because the media, and I'm not going to point out specifics, but it seems like every time we've had a travesty in this country, even in the world, what's the first thing that comes out? Well, mental health, right? Mental health, mental health, mental health. So the media clearly doesn't do any help to the mental health community, right? They they actually probably do more harm than good. But in your personal opinion, why do you think we have such a stigma of mental health and wellness? Yeah, I think originally it kind of goes back to psychiatry and how it started and what it was. You know, we have a very long history of it's this idea of like, it's not okay to not be okay. Um, And that goes back like Freud and it's been perpetuated ever since, you know, there's a very big societal stigma about asking for help in general. Like you're not supposed to need anyone else. You're not supposed to need help. And so that carries on, especially when mental health has always been talked about like the crazy people, it just has been perpetuated for so long. And you're right. There are messages that I don't think are as blatantly problematic as maybe they were in the past, some, not all, um, but it still perpetuates the same thing, right? So that's a good example of whenever there's a tragedy of violence, people say mental health. And as someone who used to work with the severely mentally ill, I just get so angry because the statistics don't support that. It's not equal. It's not like you get a diagnosis of like schizophrenia, for example, and then all of a sudden you're violent. Like that's not a thing. So it may be a mental health issue, but not in the way that people think. Um, You know, I watched a documentary a while back on this particular school shooting, and it shows the story of how he got to where he was of committing that violence. And when you hear his story, like you really understand why he wasn't okay. But none of that had to do with any, you know, undiagnosed, like severe mental health issue, which is what people try to pin it on. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if these people were basically institutionalized, this wouldn't happen. And it's like, no. And I always say, like, if you're going to say it's a mental health issue, okay, what is it? What's the mental health issue? Is there a diagnosis? Because there's no diagnostic criteria in any of these, you know, psychotic disorders, for example, that's violent. Like, that's not a thing. So something else has to be going on. And given the fact that there's the vast majority of people with a mental illness never commit an act of violence, like, how are you explaining that discrepancy? It's such a catch-all to just be like, this person is not okay, and so therefore it's a mental health issue and even if you play devil's advocate and say that okay that's true well we're not funding mental health either so like you're not actually helping because yeah at some point 
someone who commits this massive act of violence isn't okay. They're not okay. Um, but they didn't wake up one morning suddenly not okay. This is years of them not getting the help and support they need or being in systems that don't allow them to be who they are or to thrive. And okay, so let's fix that while also maybe not giving them assault weapons at the same time, but we're not doing that either. So I guess it's not really that big of an issue for people who are blaming mental health. Yeah, I think it's the easy way out right? Like that's the easy way out. Um, and I, and I don't have the statistic. I, I mean, I know in Connecticut, it, it was way before I became a young adult. I mean, we had facilities in the state for mental health for people, um, you know, that, that could go there, um, you know, and seek support. And unfortunately funding, you know, was eliminated. I, f I forget, I'm not going to blame cause I don't know who it was, but you know, budgets were cut and, you know, we, we took mental health and now, as you probably know, and our listeners and, and our watchers, you know, now a lot of the mental health end up in jails, which is not the right place for them to be in, right? Because there really isn't the support in there. They're not getting the proper treatment. Um, but to your point, I think this starts like early on, right? Like this is like, and this is like where we have to have these conversations. And and I know that the politicians and the media because of the sensationalism and because people are looking for votes or they're looking for viewers, it's easy to just throw mental health out there. Right. But it, this is a much bigger problem. It's a bigger conversation. So to your point, like we've got to start in the very beginning. And I, I think kind of like you said, like, and I asked the question, like, how do we destigmatize this whole mental health conversation, uh, which is, is which is really critical and changing the narrative. And I think what you had mentioned, you know, really personalizing this just like you would. Like your analogy was great when you said like, hey, if you're running and you collapse, like that's not the first time you're going for a physical. But if we can get into routine where you're seeing someone and, you know, I, I guess I'll go out on a limb. I mean, you may have a different uh, philosophy on this. It's not like you have to go every week. But even if you have someone that you know that is good, that you connect with, that, you know, is the person that you have for that resource, check in once a month. Or, you know, every two weeks or once a quarter. I, I don't know. I mean, that's to be determined, but I think that's critical. It's a critical piece to um, development and growth as a, as a person, um, regardless of what your profession is. And, and I wish that was taught like early on, you know, just like as we go. And I, I guess it doesn't happen unless like you go through it, right? Like I, I've, I think I've been fortunate just because I've had some loss in my life and, you know, I've had some, some challenging times in my life and I've tried to learn from that. And someone gave me the advice of seeking professional help and it's done wonders, you know, so I, I can speak to that, but I just hope people listening and watching kind of take really that and, and, and really kind of investigate themselves. Um, because I think the earlier you start with that and have that resource, the better you are, we're all going to be long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right in that it starts so early and in subtle ways that people don't realize, you know, just this idea of it's really hard to be any type of minority or other in the society. And I think that, you know, you go all the way back to that is like supporting kids with who they are. And, you know, you think of the messages that kids get, like when they fall or they get upset about something, don't cry, like you're fine versus like, you know, hey, how are you feeling? Even things like that. Does that lead to acts of violence? Like, no, no, that's not a causal relationship. But does it lead to somebody thinking it's not okay to be sad or mad 
or to express that to another person? Yes. Um, and then, you know, you then tell that person who was always told growing up, you know, oh, don't cry, like suck it up or whatever the messaging is. Okay, now go to a therapist and take care of your mental health and talk about your emotions. No, <laughs> like that's such a leap now for that person to yeah. even feel comfortable doing that. And so, yeah, we have to look at kind of overall how we talk about this idea of taking care of our mental health, right? Like kids go to pediatricians, like why not some, why not form therapy in that way of that? It's a check-in. It's just something you do to take care of your health because it's part of your body and that can carry into adulthood, you know, and adults as well. It's like, it shouldn't be taboo to go to therapy. Like everyone can benefit from therapy. And on the provider side, exactly what you said, you know, you, we have clients who check in once a month or like, Hey, I need a break and then come back and it's all fine. And, you know, there are definitely therapists who make that a lot harder. And when people have a negative healthcare experience, they are less likely to trust someone else. And then they end up just getting no care. And so part of that is also education for providers about, you know, cultural competency and inclusion and diversity and all of those things coming together, you know, when that person finally says, like, I am going to seek help, there needs to be somebody who's welcoming and understanding and accessible on the other side of it. So powerful. Uh, you know, something that just came up in my head was hearing you speak, Rachel, and it's like, to your point, like pediatricians, right? Like imagine if as a, as a, as a child, and as a pediatrician had a therapist in their office to do this, you know, so you go in, like I just, you know, my, I have 16 and 18. So one went in for a physical, we go into one room for the physical and then, you know, the doctor comes in and then the therapist would come in, right? Like things like that. But I just remember, you know, and, and I'm trying to bring this back to like my own personal experience, like my dad and my parents were immigrants. And, you know, I always kind of throw the immigrant card, like, Hey, they, they came to this country in 68. Like they weren't ingrained in the American culture. It's, you know, it, it took them a couple of years and they became citizens. And I think that's when they, you know, they were ingrained in the American culture, but they just weren't raised here. And I just remember like one incident, like to, to bring this to what we do here, I guess for a second. And I know this happens. It happened to me and it happens to other families. Like my dad was, you know, has this terminal diagnosis. He's depressed. And what do they do? They bring a therapist to him at that moment. And to go full circle here, as we talk about this, like, just imagine if my dad, if, if, if culturally it was accepted that we had a therapist and that could have even been a priest, right? Like my, my parents were very religious. Um, and I think my mom found that therapy through, through the priest at that time, through our Roman Catholic church. But my dad just didn't have that connection. But you know, we were at a, a, a local hospital, and here's this young lady who was who was who was really good. But you know, try it's like trying to force the round peg into the square hole. At that time, it was just too late, you know. And I think, and I know that happens to families because I hear the conversations like, "Oh, well, yeah, my dad, you know, he was he's having a tough run, and you know, X Y Z institution, you know, brought in a therapist, but you know, he didn't want to hear it. But if we brought that in earlier." Right. How much more willing will people be to like say, hey, yeah, like I I, I do want to talk, um, you know? So it, it, it's just interesting, you know, hearing you speak. But then the other thing that just came up is, and I'll use the sports analogy, like Tom Brady has like a sports psychologist, right? That works on his, and, and but here's a guy that we parade. And I, I love Tom Brady. I think he's done phenomenal things, but- we parade our athletes for working with therapists to better themselves for their mindset to avoid being a loser, 
to avoid losing. But then on the flip side, if someone's average person seeks help and assistance for therapy, we say they're, they're like a lesser class. Yeah. How effed up it, like, this is so like such a contrast, right? Like on one end we, we parade and we celebrate, we pay them millions and billions of dollars. And then on the other end, like, just look what happened here in New York, Ben, uh, who is it? Yeah. Ben Simmons, right? Like he claimed mental health and like, he's making hundreds of millions of dollars and he's on every, you know, he's on the New York post and they're parading, but then someone else seeks mental health and wellness support. And we, you know, that person's got issues or that's the problem for everything. Yeah. It runs so deep because even the sports analogy is such a good example of like, you know, if it's, and you know, mental health needs to be done then in the right way. Right. (laughs) So if you're doing, you're working with a sports psychologist and then that improves your game, everybody's like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Like, thank you for taking care of yourself. But if you are a Simone Biles or a Naomi Osaka and you're like, Hey, I need a break for my mental health. People like suck it up. Yeah. Well, it's like, what message does that send? Like, you're okay. It's okay for you to not be okay, but only if you don't inconvenience me or only in certain parameters or only if you pretend that you are. And those messages, right, get exactly, they get, you know, circulated out to everyone else. And so then if somebody sees that, how do they feel about asking their boss for a personal day because they're having a hard time, right? Or even just seeking help in general. And, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the example of your dad in like the hospitals and it's, it's just so frustrating how people talk about people's well-being and only focusing on the physical. And Jarell and I just recorded like a podcast in which I think I just like ranted for 30 minutes and he like just said a few things. I was like, I need to say things because it's just so frustrating that they talk about, you know, 19 injured or one dead or however many people in like mass violence events or tragedies or whatever, but nobody talks about the mental health injuries, right? It's just a matter of like life and death. And I feel like everyone deserves more out of life than just like, oh, are you alive? Okay, then you're good. Um, you know, what about all the people that witnessed it in the community? What about all the people who are friends of victims? You know, what about the mental health impact of a lifelong injury perhaps? And so, you know, when you said like they offered therapy to your dad and, you know, right. Like at that point, it's it's a very hard entry point, but I wonder, and I feel like I know the answer, like did anyone offer that to anyone else? Like your dad was just diagnosed with this horrible illness. Like did anyone say like, Hey, are you Okay. How is this going? Or, you know, even as people go through treatment of anything that any type of chronic illness, you know, cancer or not, it's never about like, hey, how are you doing managing this? It's just like, oh, do you feel okay? Like, are you still alive? Great. We're moving on. It's like, well, we all deserve more than that. But it's the stigma of like, oh, it doesn't actually matter if you're okay. That really perpetuates like, well, you must be fine because you're here and breathing. Yeah. And I, and, and I think like society is like, you got to be strong, right? You can't, you can't, you can't be weak because, right. you know, going out to get help or to saying like, Hey, I, I need a, I need a timeout is weak. Right. I want to shift gears here. Let's talk about Viva. So what is the process? So someone listening, someone watching, um, you mentioned, I know off air, but then you mentioned you are expanding. So I know things have changed because of the pandemic where tele became like, it was wild, like, right. Like overnight, like 
it changed the whole ball game, which is awesome, right? Because now this gives you access to more people, uh, different parts of the country. But let's talk about for Viva, like what's the process for you guys? So someone listening wants to reach out um, and we'll share where they can connect with you guys and follow you and get more information. But let's say someone comes to you, what's the process that you guys have? If you can share a bit of that, of like how you guys do things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of our referrals come from our website fill out a form, it goes straight to me. Um, I will then, based on where you are and based on your availability or any other preferences you have for your therapist or what you want to work on, we'll match you with someone on our team. Uh, they reach out, schedule a first session. You know, like I said, people can come weekly on a regular schedule. You can come Thursday at two every week until you're done or every other week, or you can schedule your next session at the end of your last session. And so we really make that accessible for people scheduling wise. Um, we have a conversation about fees. We do have a sliding scale, which a lot of therapy practices do. It's lower cost options, but unlike a lot of other practices, we don't require people to like present all of their financial information and defend their choices because that's a horrible way to start off a therapeutic relationship. And it's not even fair. You know, if someone says like, oh, if you make $50,000 a year, you're eligible for this fee. Well, but $50,000 a year to someone in New York City raising two kids is very different to somebody making $50,000 a year, like outside a major city, single, who lives in their family's home. And so we don't do that. We just say, listen, we our fees are between this range and this range. You tell us what you need and how often you need to come in. And we're good. We're going to honor that for you. And then from there, it's really just a flexible relationship. You know, like I said, people can change frequency of how often they come. They can come more. They can come less. We try to be accessible by email in between sessions. That's another thing that makes me crazy. Um, I've had clients be like, can I email you? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, of course you can. Um, and apparently that's a thing that people are like, do not talk to me in between sessions. Like, that's ridiculous. So, and that's something that we, like I said, it's a human relationship. We try to build that. And whether people are with us for three months or three years, like that's kind of always this connection we want to have with people. Um, and so, you know, we're accepting clients in New York, California, and, Phil and Pennsylvania right now, but we hope to expand that. And for people outside that area, we have the podcast, the blog, free resources on our website, um, Instagram, social media, just because we want to be able to reach as many people as possible. Um, and so, yeah, we have a really diverse team. We intentionally make sure that as many people can be represented in terms of finding a therapist that fits with them. And yeah, we're excited to hopefully bring that to more people. So long term, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I've got one more question, but I, I yeah. want to ask this: Where do you see yourselves, Viva Health, you and Jarrell, in five years? Do you see this in every state? You mentioned only New York, Philadelphia, and San Diego. So yeah. I assume that you guys are light because I know with counseling you have to be licensed in the state. So I'd assume Pennsylvania, New York, California. But do you guys? see yourself nationwide being able to do this via tele anywhere you are or having physical locations like or or being yeah. in corporate settings i know that's a big part of like corporate wellness now like getting involved with larger companies yeah that's actually a good point i totally forgot about that because we have that side of the business as well um we do work with corporations and organizations to do presentations events we're definitely trying to expand that as well um to even do like one-off presentations or longer term partnerships and so yeah i think um we have a list of our first top 10 cities we'd like to go to. And so, yeah, we hope to have not just obviously San Diego and California, but since it's licensed by state, uh, 
Los Angeles, San Francisco, kind of all three like major areas um, and really a hybrid model. The teletherapy was something we did before the pandemic on kind of an as needed basis for people. But funny story is that on a couple occasions throughout like where, you know, we've been very COVID cautious because like no one needs to get COVID going into therapy. And, but during, you know, lulls in the percentages of positivity, we've said like, Hey, like we have hybrid options for in-person and like no one's jumped on it. We've had a hybrid option available for like a month and no one's said anything. Um, but we want to keep offering it because, you know, we know that there are sometimes you might have just weeks where you want to be in person just because something's happening. And so then you go back to virtual or, you know, even once a month, you're like, Hey, I just want to sit in the same room with you on a monthly basis. And then the rest of sessions can be virtual. So we do hope to have, you know, office locations for at least some in-person appointments, but then teletherapy really lets us reach as many people as possible, even if they're not able to come in person and there's so many reasons why that might not be accessible. So I'm just so excited that this is now like a universal thing that people don't think is weird. And because like I said, so many reasons why coming in person would be someone's barrier. And so the one more barrier we can take down. Yeah. And I hope we're in as many places as possible. Um, I keep telling Jarell, I'm just like, okay, so these cities are next. And he's just like, okay, okay, we can do that. All right. That's fine. Um, so yeah, as many as possible. I love it. I love it. All right. My last question, and then we're going to share where our audience can get information, learn more, connect with you. This is a loaded question. There's no right or wrong, but what is your definition of mental health and wellness? How do you define it? Okay. This is where I'll kind of give my spiel between content versus happy. Um, This is like the PSA no one asked for, but I'm going to share anyway. So I think people conflate those things a lot. You know, happiness is like an emotion like sadness or anger or, you know, disappointment, anything. It comes and goes. So I think people say, oh, I want to be happy. Well, you can be happy in a, mo- in a moment. Like if you give me a donut, I'm going to be happy. Even if I'm having a bad day, like if you give me a donut, I will be happy. But that doesn't mean I'm still happy when I'm done eating the donut. If like I go outside and like spill my coffee all over myself, then I'm not happy. Content, on the other hand, is this idea of like knowing that emotions are going to come and go, but you're in a good place. Um, And I think that can be true even if you're having a bad day, week, month, if something awful is happening, you know, you might feel some type of way about that particular situation or that area of your life. But it's also in addition to kind of being at peace with where you are, it's being at peace with you. Um, you know, no one is perfect at all, but it's this idea of self-awareness of like knowing yourself and accepting who you are and being able to show up as your authentic self and feel good about that. And I think that then translates into all areas of your life and obviously, you know, being, and I think that translates into being in a place where you can then take care of your physical health. So this kind of all encompassing like contentment of just being at peace with you and where you are. And know that you're, you know, living your best life for whatever moment you happen to be in. It's awesome stuff, Rachel. Thank you. We're like 50, 55, 56 minutes in. That went by like that. I, oh, I swear to God, I, I've Not done <laughs> hundreds of these and I kept looking down and I'm like, oh my God, like I, I have so many more questions, but I want to be respectful of time. We could do another episode. I'll come back every week. You know, we can make this a standing appointment. Don't worry. I love it. I love it. I, I'll take you up on that. You better be careful. Last thing here uh, for audience listening, viewing, where's the best place 
for the public to connect with you guys, learn more about um, the, the great things you and Jarrell are doing via, I know you mentioned the podcast, your website, the blog. If there's people in those areas that you mentioned um, that want to come in and see you, how do they do that? Yeah. Best place is the website, vivamentalhealth.com. Um, it links to everything. It links to our Instagram, to the podcast, to the blog, to new clients. You can read about us and our team members um, and everything everyone's doing. Um, it'll eventually have information about Jarrell's coming out with a book in the fall. They'll have information about that. So that everything eventually goes to the website. So I would say definitely start there and then see what works. Resources are there as well. And so it's also a good place to generally connect with us if you're an organization or a group or a business, uh, our general contact form is there in addition to new client inquiries. So start there. Awesome. Rachel, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast here at Project Purple. Same. I, uh, so much fun. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and, and I, again, was taking a lot of notes, but I, I wrote something down earlier on, um, that again, I paraphrase from you, which is so powerful. And as we said, you know, before we hit record, like this is such a, an, I think a timely conversation for what's happening in the world today. But, you know, we deal with, you know, a lot of death here at Project Purple and that involves uh, mental health and wellness. Um, and to your point, it's not always just the patient, but the patient's families. And I've always said something that if you're a caregiver, you, if you're chronically ill, uh, and, and I don't mean like in a, in a physical standpoint, but if mentally, and then if you're, you know, caring for love, you can't care for someone who's, who's chronically ill. If you're chronically ill yourself, it becomes really difficult. But, um, I wrote this thing down and I, I hope this sums it up and it, it is, it is okay to be not okay. So thank you for all you're doing. Thank you to you and Jarrell. Um, I know being a small business owner and running a small business is never as glamorous as it looks, uh, <laughs> but it takes a special person to do what you guys are doing to help create change, to, to lead a life of positivity and help other people. As I said, to be selfless is really, really special. So thank you for all you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share this episode. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Until next time, please be safe. Yeah.